This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's the worst up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome, everybody, to the Republic of Football. I am your host, Mike Craven, joined here by Corey Hogue for our small college podcast edition. Going into week four already. We're a uh, Basically 25% done with the regular season at the college football level at, at every division. We'll talk, you know, FCS, Division II, Division Three, a little bit of JUCO in here as well during this episode. You know, I guess first off, Corey, how was your week? How'd your week three treat you? You know, it, it was really good for me. And I, I got to ask you, though, Mike, because I, I realized something this weekend. I was covering the Cowboys game, and they had this two-minute warning. And I want to know how in the world we're able to make it through high school and college games without raising awareness of how much time is left on the clock. <laughs> I, I've always been in, I, I guess I've always assumed that the two minute warning tracks back to like NFL never stopping for first downs and, and that just kind of creating another stoppage of clock type thing that you don't need in college and high school. Cause the last thing we need in college football, and this may be blasphemy to say is longer games. The games are the games are already too long. Uh, we need to speed it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, the two minute warning is kind of an outdated, weird. It's probably TV commercial stuff too, as well, to kind of have a, a mandatory break in there for the NFL games to get one more. Well, know, another yes thing, read in there. Another thing, probably the reason why they should not allow me to have a Twitter account is I don't know that the two minute rises to the level of a warning. You know, <laughs> you've got hurricane warnings, tornado warnings. That that doesn't seem to to re- need the same reaction from me, but apparently the NFL thinks it does. We got a pretty big week four uh, ahead of us at the small college level. We'll get to that here in a little bit. First, we'll for those who are new, we kind of review three or four of the biggest games from the previous week, and then we preview three or four games from the upcoming week. So we'll start with the review section in a game that Corey was at in person in Arlington. Texas Southern beat Southern twenty four to nothing. Andrew Body, 16 of 22 for 186 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions. He also ran for 39 yards. Derek Morton caught six passes for 108 yards and a touchdown. The defense accounted for three interceptions and seven sacks. Corey, my question for you, is this kind of a turn-the-page moment for Texas Southern's defense? They were able to beat Southern last year by four points, but they haven't had this kind of defensive effort, honestly, in a really long time. I don't even know the last time. I, I don't think it is. It was a great effort. It was a, a great performance by the defense, but it also took a lot of luck. There, there were turnovers, that, and, and they forced some of this. They forced that turnover a couple in the red zone. Southern was able to move the ball pretty consistently. Just, you know, Texas Southern made the plays when they had to. They got them off the field when they had to, but it, it just felt like Southern just kind of, kept bogging down right there. I think I, I think it said more maybe about Southern's offense uh, in their first year under Eric Dooley, but it's a great thing for Texas Southern, and they, they will use this. They will use this to build. That defense needed a game like that. They need those solid vibes because the offense has been taking all the credit this year. 
I mean, when you look at it, they hadn't shut out Southern since 1970. You know, so that was pretty good. And that was the last time Southern was shut out in a game by a swag team since 2012. So what the Tigers did was really, really historic. It was a really good job. And, and, you know, offensively, too, they were pretty solid in that game, especially in the first half. Yeah, Andrew Body's a star. Um, You know, every time I watch Texas Southern, I guess in my head, and this may be like the cynical nature of how my brain works, but I'm always like he's on borrowed time at Texas Southern. Right. Like how long can they keep him there? Can they keep him there for his entire career? Like in the transfer portal era, I'd imagine he gets a lot of callers after this year, just after he's what after his freshman year was out. Awesome. And now he's backing it up with another sophomore campaign. That's really good. I do wonder how how hard it will be to keep him at Texas Southern for another year, really two years. It's interesting you say that because he kind of unsolicited discussed that a little bit in the postgame press conference. He talked about how much he loves being at home in Houston. He loves Texas Southern because that's his home. So I, I don't see him. There, there just seemed to be zero desire for him to move on. He may be one of those guys that just wants to stay around home. So if he does move, it might be the University of Houston or, yeah. or a Rice or something, you know, something like that. But the, he is so good. I, I watched that first half, and I was, I, I was really concentrating on how do you stop Andrew Body. And I watched Southern try man defenses. That didn't work. He, he's he got the – he can – if you go man, he's going to break off a run on you. If you go zone, he finds the receiver in the zone, in the, in the holes. The only thing Southern had any success with was blitzing. So you've got to make that offensive line miscommunicate. That's the only chance they have to stop Andrew Body. They keep him around, and they're the legit contender for the SWAC West Division next year, in my opinion. That's a that's a good football team. That as the defense catches up to the offense, we know the offense is going to be really good. Like each year, he's at Texas Southern. That offense is only going to get better and better. So, uh, bright future ahead for Texas Southern if the defense can keep playing like they did in that win against Southern. Let's move on to a new game. Texas A and M Kingsville stays undefeated with a thirty one twenty four win over a ranked West Texas A and M squad. A six yard touchdown pass from Jacob Cavallos. To Allen, I'm going to m- mess up his last name, Arcelis, Arcelis, uh, with, with 12.55 left in the fourth quarter, ended up being the game winner. A good back-and-forth game. Kingsville was up 10-0 after the first quarter. West A- Texas A&M responded with 10 unanswered points in the second quarter. You know, Both teams scored 14 in the third quarter, and neither team ever led by more than 10 points in the game. So, so a pretty close game. Kingsville's defense had six turnovers. Um, is Kingsville now probably the biggest challenger to Angelo State in the Lone Star Conference, or, or do you kind of consider this an upset with West Texas A&M still kind of being the big the big threat to them? I consider this to be just the crazy Lone Star Conference again. <laughs> Angelo State just seems to be a now that they jumped out to a big lead against UTPB. The Falcons pulled within a score. The Rams were like, okay, and then they they extended it out again. So they, they right now are at the top. After Angelo State, it's anybody. It is anybody, any week. You know, that game had a little bit of everything. I love the game. But I promise you, fans of both teams did not like that game. It was a lot of turnovers on each side, a lot of messiness. It, it had sometimes the offenses looked perfect. Sometimes they couldn't, the quarterbacks couldn't find the right guys. Like accuracy was hit and miss for both quarterbacks kind of all night. And then you had officiating crew issues and, and some I'm not going to get into in the blitz, but I'll, I'll discuss here. The end of that game, 
West Texas A&M, it, it was kind of mess, a, a messy situation. There was a, a clock, what appeared to be a clock stoppage, some kind of confusion on the field. Then the officials wound the clock again. Then they, they stopped. Then they put more time on the clock, but less than 40 seconds, and then started it again so that Kingsville didn't have to take another it, it really left a lot of frustration, you know, and there is a lot of frustration in West Texas right now. They, this is kind of more of the same. This is what we wanted to see. Can they, can they be consistent and handle success? And the answer last week was no, they get another chance this week and they very well could go into Angelo and knock them off. But this is kind of, that was kind of a litmus test for, for Hunter Hughes there and the fans and, so we'll see how the Buffs can respond to that. Kingsville needed that. They needed somebody to finally push them. Uh, they had not played anyone. I didn't know what to expect of them, to be honest with you, but they have a really solid running game. They can really move the ball. They've got a, a real quick back. And then Jacob Cavazos, he, he was very – if he misses, he misses high a lot of times. But against the zone, he was eating up West Texas zone, and there was a few blown coverages in that as well. So I think Kingsville, they still have the hardest games ahead of them. They have probably the hardest travel schedule. So how they manage that this the rest of this season is going to be pretty telling. And then the other thing is health. They, they just don't quite have the depth they need yet. Yeah, never boring in the Lone Star Conference. Never, oh. never boring at all. Uh, next game up on our on our review section here, uh, Texas Westland lost its first game of the season, twenty seven to twenty two, to Ottawa University Arizona. The Rams moved the ball, but it had to settle for five different field goals. Running back Ernie Caesar had uh, one hundred fifty yards, one hundred fifty one yards rushing. Dalton Dale passed for one hundred thirty yards, ran for sixty five more. Uh, Dylan Petway led the defense with twelve tackles and a forced fumble. Jay Reed had what I think this is an awesome stat line, by the way. Defender Jay Reed. Nine tackles, recovered a fumble, recorded an interception, broke up three passes. That's that's doing about everything that you can do. Uh, yeah, how big of a loss is this for Westland? You know, how, how, how concerning is it that they weren't able to finish those drives? Because if they finish those drives, they win this game you know, pretty handily. That's what it all comes down to. Uh, the loss is heartbreaking. It is hard to watch on the, when I watch the, the film. After the game, you multiple coaches. Yeah, you could tell the kind of the mood with the coaches. They're they're gonna that's where the players are getting from. Coaches were just doubled over. You know, it was a heartbreaking loss. They that was the game they knew they were ready to make the statement. And you know what? They are. They are right there. They are with the best teams in NAI. But when you're at that level and then you've got two even teams. The game of football comes down to two things. Do you score touchdowns in the red zone? And do you convert on third and fourth down? Typically, third and fourth down conversions will be right about even, and they were in this game. But the difference was red zone. Four red, six red zone opportunities for the Rams, four field goals, no touchdowns. Whereas Ottawa had five chances. Four times they scored, two of them were touchdowns. It's the ultimate difference in the game. And I... Look, the Rams even threatened at the end. It, it, they, they, I feel like they probably, when they got in yesterday, said, you know what? We were the better team. We just need to learn how to execute. And that's what, that's that experience. They haven't been here before. So now they have 
now they know to work on that execution. You start drilling into those details on your team, that's when you know your team has got a chance to be really, really good. Yeah, I mean, learning how to win is a process. Um, and, and Texas Westland's still undergoing that process. That's true at every level, high school, college, professional ranks, you know, like the Detroit Lions, right? Talk about that, a hard knocks, like all, all off-season and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, learning how to win is not as simple as just like, oh, well, you just go win. You know, you have to learn how to get through those kind of tense moments, how to, how to thrive through that, and how to expect uh, to finish a game. Uh, so, you know, some baby steps there for Texas Westland to step back. Uh, our last game – sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. One other thing I want to throw in there is – for Texas Wesleyan, they are so talented and they are so good that there's only one or two games a year they get like that until they reach possibly the playoffs. So that's why it's so hard to learn how to win for a lot of these teams. You've got to it's got to come in, in teams that you kind of even up against. Yep. yep. And then our last of the review from week three, Kilgore dropped to two and one on the year with a 31 and 24 loss to New Mexico Military Institute. Corey, I remember last week you kind of you thought Kilgore was going to win this game. You made a made a I, I did. made a prediction there. You know, from your from your side, kind of what uh, what kept Kilgore from from overcoming that hump? Kilgore, <laughs> Kilgore got in their own way. They had a big lead at the halftime, and then just mistakes, mistakes in the second half, uh, blown coverages, and allowing some explosive plays. Credit New Mexico military. Look, they're number one. They're they're the reigning and defending national champions for a reason. They, they know how know, to win. They know how to win. I was right. just going to yeah. say that. Yeah. yeah. They know how to win. Kilgore, it's been a couple years since they've been at this level. And every year in JUCO is almost a completely different team. So they have to still know how to win. Yeah, New Mexico's got a bunch of new talent, but the leftover talent and those coaches know how to win. Kilgore has got to get back up to that level and and look, they're still one of the best teams. I think we'll see a rematch of this game, hopefully in the conference championship. And Kilgore could very well win that one, but they will they will have to learn from this. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that game and it was it was it was good. It's you know, there's decent amount of talent down there. It's physical, there's some athletes. So um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people sleep on the JUCO stuff just because you never know what the roster is gonna look like year in, year out. It's hard to like build some fan momentum because you don't get to know the team. Uh, but like what we were talking about with the previous game, like knowing how to win is not just like player to player. It's a program standard. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, you know, in MMI has that and, and Kilgore is working towards that. Let's move. I wanted to get through the review section pretty quickly because I want to spend more time on the preview section because we have a couple of bangers this week at the small college <laughs> yes, level. Let's start with number one on everybody's list. We won't waste time and, and keep this one till the end or anything. We'll we'll eat we'll eat our main platter first. Let's let's put it that way. Harden Simmons hosts Mary Harden Baylor in Abilene. Kickoff set for 6 p.m. The Crusaders rebounded from a week two loss last week with a 68-14 win over Southwestern. Harden, Harden Simmons is ranked sixth in Division three and is two and zero. The Cowboys have outscored opponents 120 to 14 in 2022. Mary Harden won this 2021 matchup 34 to 28. Corey. On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for this game? Oh, I'm at 152. <laughs> and it's still rising. It's a very exact number also. Uh, you know, it just this week is what I live for every season. I love this week. This game is going to be so much fun, and the stakes are so high. 
you mentioned how much Harden Simmons is won by. Well, one of those games was Waylon Baptist, so I don't know that we can necessarily count that one. But what they did last week, going up to Platteville, 41 to nothing, it was dominating. It was controlling the line of scrimmage. This team is firing on so many good cylinders. But we've talked about it. The, the, the theme of this is learning how to win. And sometimes you know how to win against most teams, but maybe not one team. And I think we see if Harden Simmons has learned how to win against Mary Harden Baylor this week. They have the talent. They have everything they need. Last week, though, they had to settle for two field goals in the red zone. And as we've already discussed, you don't beat Mary Harden Baylor with field goals. You've got to score touchdowns. So that's going to be the first thing. How can they score touchdowns? And then for Mary Harden Baylor, that was a good game to have. They had played such great competition the first two weeks. They took that one loss. That game is a okay. We're still Mary Harden Baylor. You know, it's, we are still us. We're still good. We're fine. Now we got to get ready, and, and the stakes are as high as they can be for Mary Harden Baylor. A loss this week to Harden Simmons. And I'm going to say Mary Harden Baylor is not in the playoffs. That's that's where this is right now. Can Harden Simmons get in the playoffs with a loss? I think so. But a win will guarantee them the playoffs as long as disaster doesn't strike. Right. So that that really is honestly the division three playoffs for these teams starts Saturday night. It's always crazy. But that's what I love about a playoff system. That, that we're starting to get some of in the college, in the, you know, the FBS ranks too. These playoff systems, you get playoff games throughout the year, games that matter and, and will be looked at at the end of the season. And this is one of those, and man, I can't wait. I got my hotel. I'm ready to go. I Well, I was impressed with the Harden-Simmons win over Platteville, not only just the score, but how business-like they were about it the week before the Mary Harden game. You know, like, I'd imagine everybody in that locker room, coaches to, to players to trainers, have had this Mary Harden game circled since the schedule came out, maybe even before the schedule came out. You know, it's easy to have that trap game. And not only did they win, but they won in impressive fashion, like you mentioned, Mary Harden, with probably the proper opponent the week before this Harden-Simmons game to kind of give them some confidence, let them win a game, remind them, like you mentioned, that they are the defending uh, D3 uh, champion. And, you know, where where do you think the advantage is for each of these teams? Like, if you're looking at Mary Harden, where is their kind of, like, where can they win this game? If you're looking at Harden-Simmons, where, where can they win this game? Most years, I will tell you, I have no idea. But not this year. I've got a clue this year. When Mary Harden-Baylor is on offense, watch the passing game. Because UMHB has got that one-two combination, Brandon Jordan, K.J. Miller, height and speed. It's lethal. And at the D3 level, they and Kyle King's got accuracy. He has improved a lot. So watch that passing game. How does Harden-Simmons secondary hold up against the passing game? Then when Harden-Simmons has the ball, they've got to run the ball. I think if they have to depend on Galen Glenn, to go out and do things to win them the game that 
they may they may have some issues. I'm not sure he's quite there yet. He this is his real first experience in this game. So you want to help him out as much as possible. Give him third and shorts. So if they can run the ball, control that line of scrimmage, I think they have a good chance. You know, last year's game was a little different because it was really high scoring. Harden Simmons jumped out to a big lead. Mary Harden Baylor came back in the second half. I don't see any team having a lull in this one. I imagine both teams are going to be ready to go. It does feel from the outside that a high-scoring game favors Mary Harden, a low-scoring game favors Harden-Simmons. So we'll see how that kind of plays out throughout the week. Uh, moving on to the – or do you have a prediction? You want to give a prediction now or you want to wait until game of the week preview on the site? I would give it if I had it yet. And I, I haven't uh, – I'm still kind of going through the weekend games uh, and trying to get through last weekend. I'm going to start turning the page to this weekend later today – and then I'll really start digging into the numbers and, and hopefully come up with a prediction. And uh, either way, I'm going to make somebody angry. So I'll hear yeah. about it Saturday. It's always fun. Just to remind everybody, we did have Harden Simmons win in that conference this year. So that's a little yes. hint, maybe a little hint towards the prediction. Uh, up next, another really awesome game here at the small college level. West Texas A&M at Angelo State kickoff set for 6 p.m. West Texas coming off a loss to Texas A&M Kingsville that we discussed a little bit earlier. Angelo State is undefeated and ranked fourth in the country. Uh, Corey, you think Angelo State's national title contender? We, re re we released the new Texas 47 uh, this morning on Tuesday. For those listening out there, please go check that out, texasfootball.com. Uh, you got any worries for an upset this week, or you think Angelo State rolls? On paper, Angelo State rolls. But, see, there's there's three types of games in college football, Mike, especially at the at the sub-FBS. You, you have – Games where you're more talented, you're just guaranteed to win. You have games where you're talented, the other team's a little more talented, so you might need some help, but with a little bit of help, winning the turnover battle, playing maybe really well, you pull off the upset, and then you have those games where both teams are just dead even. We had the dead even with Ottawa and Texas Wesleyan. This is that middle category. Angelo is a little better than West Texas A&M. But if the Rams don't take care of the ball and, and do the and do the things they need to do, the WT can make them pay. And look, Angelo plays an aggressive defense. They play right up in your face, a lot of man to man. They're susceptible to getting beat deep. Permian beat them deep. With well, of course they got they got MJ Link. I mean, he's really fast and really good. But West Texas A&M's got Nick Gerber, and if he can get, if you got a receiver that can get some separation, you can get some explosive plays because Angelo is so aggressive in their in their in their defensive play calling, and they they like to blitz so much. So that could be something. And then it's all about taking care of the football for Angelo State. Are they a national contender? Yes, you're now in the top five in the polls. You've proven that you can handle your business against the good teams, and you've proven that you can respond if a team kind of punches you a little bit like they did last week with uh, Permian. So they're definitely in that national contender talk, but the talent level between an Angelo, a WT, um, throw in a Kingsville, maybe even a Midwestern in there, it's so even that one bad week, one week you have three or four interceptions like you're not normally having, and then, then you're going to get beat. 
Yeah, I really enjoy the Angelo State running game. It's going to be a be a good one here as well. That's another question too: is do they have Alfred Greer back? He was injured last week and he missed. So Nathaniel Omeyabu got I, I getting his name right. I'm getting better at these yeah. names as we yeah. go. <laughs> he he was outstanding. Look, the offensive line is the key, but they do need Alfred Greer back also. That one two punch is really solid. At the FCS level, Incarnate Word travels to southeastern Louisiana, Hammond, America, with kickoff set for 6 p.m. UIW has emerged as the state's best FCS program through the first quarter of the season. The offense is averaging 50 points a game. But the defensive improvement might, might be the most impressive part of the Cardinals' season so far. The Lions have two losses, but both came to FBS programs. Chips on the table. My little brother played tight end at southeastern Louisiana, so I have a soft spot there. Uh, for the Lions, does Incarnate Word just continue to kind of roll here, or does that one and two record for Southeastern kind of give a little bit of a, a false security for the Cardinals? Oh, that's a false security. UIW better be ready because this could definitely be one of those trap games. The Southeastern Louisiana is still really, really good. That is, and it's at it's it's at SLU. So UIW is going to be really on their game. And, yes, that defense is better. They've got a little more talent this year, but they're also getting a little more help than they had in previous years, and that's by the running game. Yeah. YW, they had – I think his name was Kevin Brown a couple years ago. He was pretty good. He was really solid. But now they're, they focus more on the run. This running attack is really good. Lindsey Scott is great passing the ball. He's, he, I saw him go to his third and, and one-time fourth look to get a touchdown in last week's game against Prairie View. You can't stop a college quarterback who can go through that many reads. But when you've got three running backs, Marcus Cooper missed last game. I think he was sitting out with an injury, but Gerald Wiley came in and blew him up, and, and Isaiah Robinson. When you've got three running backs, an offensive line that makes a hole, makes enough of a hole because these guys are all about the same. They're fast. They got a burst of speed. G.J. Kinney and staff have done a great job of finding these guys because when they see that hole and they cut towards it, they're through it. So that is the biggest key that's helping out this defense. They're not on the field near as long right now. Yeah, to your point, they're uh, they're playing 10, 10 or more fewer snaps a game through three games than they did last year. Some of that is just, like you said, the running game. And it feels like the UIW offense is a little bit slower. Not not less explosive or anything like that, but just a little bit more methodical. It doesn't take much to be a little bit more methodical than an Eric Morris offense. But it, I, I do think, to your point, that has helped out the defensive line. You're just on the field less. You're going to give up fewer yards. You're going to give up fewer points. I think – and you're right. And I, I think a lot of times the most successful offenses, and I'm, I'm kind of starting to notice this at every level, are those that are – medium tempo not necessarily the slow down tempo like say an army or a really fast tempo like what washington state has now with morris but when you keep the same players on the field the defense can't substitute yep. so whether you're running a play in 10 seconds or you're running a play in 15 or 20 seconds with, with you know 20 seconds left on the play clock or 25 i don't think it's that big a difference now, i think that defense is still going to be tired and you're just letting them it, kind of that extra few seconds may let it get in their head a little more. It's like, man, I'm really tired. Then you hit them again. Then again, they go, man, I'm really getting tired. You, you know, you keep doing maybe that moderate tempo is the best because 
uh, that seems to be the one that produces the most touchdowns. And, and I've watched a lot of football in the last few weeks. I think it's uh, I, I kind of uh, equate it to pitchers. You know, you want to have multiple pitches. You don't want just a fastball or just a curveball or just a changeup. You want to be able to do all of those things just so you can dictate pace. There's some games where you need to play fast because you're behind. There's some games where you need to slow it down. Being able to kind of mix those up is really important. Uh, we're up against the clock. So real quick, the last one, Blinn at New Mexico Military Institute in NMMI is taking their like tour around the state of Texas over the last three weeks. Blinn is 3-0 and after a 21-13 win over Cisco College in week three. The defense has only allowed 13 points all season, and that came in that Cisco College win last week. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in MMI, uh, beat Navarro in week two, Kilgore in week three. Real quick, Corey, just one, you know, yes or no, a little bit more than that maybe. Can Blinn pull the upset this week? Can they? Yes. Am I predicting it? No. I think New Mexico military is just that good. And Blinn, we haven't really seen a whole lot from them yet. They're supposed to have a really good offense. This is by far the biggest test. If they can pull this off, though, and we can get some of our redemption from our state here on uh, New Mexico military, just like Harden Simmons gave us against Wisconsin last week. Thank you, Cowboys, for that W. Uh, I think... I think Bland could, but, it, it, you know, I, I think New Mexico wins this one, but it's a premier game at the JUCO level, no doubt. All righty, sir. Uh, we appreciate it again. Thanks for everybody to listen. Uh, please rate, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast, five stars or nothing. That's what we ask for. Um, Corey, enjoy your trip to Abilene. Enjoy that Harden-Simmons-Mary Harden game, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. I look forward to it. Have a great weekend.